0: Welcome into another episode of the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm your host, Eric Scopel. I'm most of the question mark. Um, <laughs> filling in for Matt Brimway, as we talked about right beforehand. I hope I don't blow this. And so far, so good. Um, Matt is on vacation. Uh, he'll be gone for a while, so you'll be seeing a lot of me, a lot of Jared, a lot of other guests like today's show, where we are joined by I-5 Corridor's Tyson Alger. Tyson, uh, this is great to have you on. Is this your first time we've had, has Matt been that hard on you to not even have you on the show? Well, well Matt, Matt instituted a
1: very clear, there can only be one guy on the show at a time with a massive head. And so with him <laughs> with him out on vacation for the week, there's finally enough room to bring this thing in. So uh, um, I, I understand why I haven't been a part of this yet, but I'm I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Yeah, Tyson's here, Jared Mack is here as usual. We're going to talk some spring camp impressions. I know we're about 8 days removed from I think the end of the uh, last the last spring media, media availability. Um I just thought it'd be fun to kind of recap some things we took away, some broad strokes things and we're going to end with some bold predictions. I don't know how bold we went cuz I didn't want to like put too much stock into the first 6 months, but that's kind of where I'm at with this. Like we've seen We have six months now of evidence of kind of Dan Lanning and and a full spring camp with 15 practice spring game of dealing with him. And I I wanted to do a a kind of a segment where we kind of leave some early impressions. So we've we've each kind of got two and then we're going to do some bold predictions. I'll start um, because that means that if you guys have a repeat, you're you're going to have to repeat it or you're going to have to think of something. Um, So I'll start with this. And, And this is a really big, broad strokes one. I think they're having a lot more fun. It, mm. And that was said several times by several players of how much fun they were having. I think offensively, in particular, you you heard that. I think you saw it. And again, I'm not saying the previous staff was like devoid of fun and Mario just like locked down on anything that was kind of like non football, because I don't think that's totally fair to him. but you go and watch like some of the videos they've done of, of like running around with squirt guns and that kind of thing. Like that was like completely absent for the last several years. Um, you know, and these are like small things, but like, I, I like it when there's a little bit of a split from, you know, it's, it's obviously heavy competition. They put in a lot of work, but there's also kind of a fun element kind of inserted into it, lightheartedness. And I think you get a little bit, more of that with this staff, um, even kind of dealing with them in in media circumstances to some extent. And I'll get to a a thought later on that as well. But I don't know. I I came away feeling, especially the way the offense flowed, we heard from several players just how much more fun it is to be in kind of an offense that is going to challenge vertically and throw the ball downfield. Defensively, some of the scheme and stuff like that. I don't know if it's fun, but it should be something that is at least a little different with some of the exotic blitz packages. I don't know. I, I felt like there was a little bit more fun this spring.
2: Definitely thought there was more fun. Just like you pointed out, like a bunch of players mentioned it, you know, the squirt gun incident or the, the, the water balloon incident after one of the practices um, that, you know, th- those weren't really highlighted on social media during Mario Cristobal's era. Um, I think Lanning and company, I think they've done a good job on trying to trend and trying to get, you know, paid, not paid views, but clicks on their tweets for, for Oregon football on their account. Um, It does just seem like more fun overall. I also see Lanning being, it's going to sound strange, but more of like a normal person than Mario Cristobal, who seemed like a drill sergeant. Um, Like Lanning has gone to a couple baseball games. I've seen him there. Um, I've also seen him like chowing down on a plate of nachos at the baseball game, which I don't think, I don't think Mario Cristobal has touched a plate of nachos in his life because that's just not, it's just not something that he would do. So, I definitely wow. see that it's going to. I I don't know. Like we don't. Not we not sure see Mario Well, we didn't see Mario at a baseball game and like chowing on something that wasn't healthy. Go ahead, Tyson.
1: Ma- I was I was just gonna say like Mario's whole approach always felt like he like it it felt like he was running the program as if somebody was grading him the whole time in, in, yeah. in terms of just <laughs> like it, it was always presenting what he thought was like the idyllic version of like what Oregon should be and i think you saw that in just like the overall seriousness especially like last year like like i thought last Mm. year was especially for a a pretty decent team i I thought last year was one of the more (laughs) miserable organ seasons i've been around it it just seemed like everyone was really stressed out like there was no uh like there's no like self-deprecation and and not that i need these guys Mm. to make fun of themselves but it, it it just always felt like that mario had to be so serious so like all the time just to kind of like prove that like he was like the figurehead of this program and um that that's what i find kind of so intriguing about this new staff because like we've talked a ton about like how young they are how inexperienced they are this or that but like they seem awfully confident in themselves and like who they are like this this really does seem like a program where um i mean just just for like a very small example like i put in an interview request last week for like one of the assistant coaches and uh and it was just like, yeah, that, like, that wouldn't be a problem. And, like, with, with Chris's ball, it was, like, things had to go through, like, 15 different lines. Mm-hmm. It, 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 just, it just feels like it's a lot more relaxed and, like, that it feels more sustainable long-term than than kind of, like, running your program like it had been the last
0: four years. Because I think it just burnt everybody out. All right, Tyson, you do your first one. Sorry, Jared, I'm skipping you. What? Well, see
1: see that was that that was kind of gonna you you kind of stole what my my first one was gonna be but um i, I want to just kind of go back into that like the overall confidence and i know it's kind of like a play on on the one that you just did about fun but like it's it's in, in and you guys have been around it a lot more because i i didn't cover spring every day like you guys did but just like seeing like landing as the figurehead like he's loose, he's willing to have fun, but like he's also like is very prepared and knows exactly like what he will say and what he won't say. And uh, it's kind of fun watching like some of the interviews because like he does give a lot more than Chris Chris Cristobal does, but on certain things that he doesn't want to get into, he'll be very stern and straightforward of like, yeah, we're not going to get into that today. Like it it just seems like I I don't quite know how to explain it, but it, I'm, I'm very impressed with the way that he's kind of adapted to that role while also being like completely uh comfortable in like letting his assistants and staff and and whoever else kind of like go about coaching their positions without too much micromanagement i, I think we heard so much of how much or so much of what was going on micromanagement management wise with Cristobal's staff especially on the offensive end that it just didn't feel like it was smooth things didn't feel like they're in sync and I just came away feeling like that assistant coaches here under Chris or under Lanning are really going to be able to like coach and like make their own impact and, and not just be completely like overwhelmed by uh, the head coaching position.
0: You know, you, you kind of touched on what my second one was going to be there with, and I'll, I'll I'll also on the fly think of one, but just of how savvy Lanning has been with, with mm-hmm. media, like with, like I thought okay, it was kind of notable two, two two times during the first week of when they came back after spring break, we, we, we picked up on a player joining the team. And the first time, I don't think he was prepared for someone to be like, is this guy on scholarship? It was J.J. Greenfield. This is like a really subtle thing, but it stood out to me of like, he's learning on the fly what he's doing. He's never been a head coach before. And so he kind of reluctantly was like, no, he's he's not on scholarship. And then I think the, the, next, meet, the next time we spoke with him, we noticed another player had also joined the roster, similar situation through the portal. He was asked, is that player on scholarship? And he said, it's not important. And I'm guessing he spent some time thinking about, he probably should have said that the first time, but he's, <laughs> it. he's like still learning yeah. what he's doing. And I just thought that was kind of one of those notes of like, I know he says a grower's mindset, not to like buy too much into the football jargon and kind of there, but I, 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 I believe that's actually how he approaches things. I think he's somebody that is like constantly trying to get better. And you even see it in these subtle things with how he deals with media, where I was impressed with, I guess that's like a really small thing of like, he says a thing, probably feels like, I eh, probably shouldn't have put that out there next time that opportunity comes up, he nips it in the butt and has the quick answer to kind of get things moving. So yeah, he, he is pretty savvy. And that's where I was going to say how I was going to approach it earlier was like in my notes was it's more, the team having more fun, but dealing with Dan, I won't say it's less fun than Mario, but like he, he's pretty tough to get a clear signal from. And and I think that's actually pretty admirable on his end. Um, I, I, I was just, just, just to
1: butt in there. Like, I was about to say, like, I think that's fine. Like, I, I've never been one of those people who are like, oh, my gosh, the coach isn't going to tell us who's injured. Because, like, ultimately, and with the type of writing I do, like, it doesn't really matter a whole lot in my day-to-day. But, like, I respect the gamesmanship. Like, I, I respect, like, what they're, like, trying to conceal or this or that. Like, like, I understand certain things. But, like, there's there's a way to go about it. And uh, I, I think uh, I think the Cristobal method was, like, we're just going to shut down everything and not let anybody right. else talk. And, and with Lanning, it's like – yeah, like, I'm like, Lanning plays the game. And, and I, I find that very impressive for somebody that's in his first year of being head coach. All right, Jared, your
2: first one. Go ahead. All right. I went more a little like, X's and O's, I guess, for my one of my takeaways. But football, sorry, guy. I know, I know, football. Guy in my head. Um, <laughs> one of the real things, I one of the real things I noticed was that they're like, weren't any like first second or third teams like Lanning mentioned like if you're paying attention to that you're paying attention to the wrong thing and I thought that was interesting granted I've never covered another football team so maybe I don't know if that's a normal thing that goes on at other schools but it felt like during Mario Cristobal's tenure at Oregon like the first team was a first team and the second team on the field was the second team on the field but I think that kind of keys into maybe the fact that there's actual competition going on this season in terms of maybe maybe eventually quarterback, but maybe at linebacker, maybe at safety, maybe at cornerback, where you saw people come in and out of the first and second team. I think that's actually for a reason. And I think that was a huge thing. Tyson touched on it earlier with micromanagement. And I think that's a very good word to describe the Uh, the offense that was Oregon's for the last couple of years and maybe even the defense to a point, but this does seem like the offensive and defensive coordinators kind of have maybe more of a say of who is like the first team offensive line or the the second team defensive line or who they want to see in this position there on that day and then another day. But granted, we didn't get to watch all the practices. So maybe that was all just, you know, a bunch of hoopla and they were just you know, showing off for the media that, Hey, we're having competitions, but who knows? But to me, I, I do feel like they are actually trying to plug and play and see if there's any, any matches that they didn't see on paper and just trying to get, get everybody out there on the field as they can.
0: Yeah. And I think to be in spring, you really don't want to make much of the two deep, which is why I think he's protective. I'll be curious to see what that looks like in fall. If, mm-hmm. if there's a similar kind of like, yeah, don't like, don't pay attention to what one twos and threes are, because it was frankly, yeah, we were out there, it was obvious that that was something like it, it wasn't just a random yeah. collection of bodies like it was like Noah Sewell wasn't ever with like the third team. And, you know, like, no. it wasn't yeah. ever like Alex Forsyth was the third team right tackle. I mean, there was never anything uh, bizarre. It was very straightforward. Mm-hmm. It was guys playing where you'd expect them. Go ahead, Tyson.
1: Oh, i was just gonna say i i really want Forsyth to prove himself this spring i i, I think uh you know if he, if he puts in a lot of hard work you know maybe this fall he gets into the starting line well like so i wanted to ask you guys like how much do you think like that is you know just general like i'm first year head coach we're going to promote promote competition this or that strategy or how much do you think it also is just with the transfer portal and, and just trying to keep guys thinking that they're at least in line to for, for snaps or into the too deep going into the summer so they don't just like lose like 15 guys coming out of the spring
0: yeah no i think that's that has to be a component of it i mean i think canzano had an interview about talking about how you have to be really careful i think it was with landing but i have to be really careful with kind of how you present some of the stuff especially a quarterback yeah. um, because it becomes if it becomes clear like hypothetically obviously this didn't happen um or we don't think it's happened but like hypothetically if a kid comes out of spring thinking he's third like they now have i mean they have they have reasons to look around and try to find a better situation and so like by mixing it up every day and by kind of minimizing it to the media of what it actually stands for like i i think that yeah there's more thought behind it than just like Oh, this is like not a big deal. Like they're 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 guarding against information that they don't want to be present because once the narrative becomes my, I think part of it's like the parents are reading this stuff too. So sure. like if once once it becomes if it, like the word trickles down to Ty Thompson's parents of like, you know, it looks like Ty's the third string quarterback. Well, that's where Ty has to start having conversations with his dad and his mom of like, are you really third string? Like, what's going on there? Like, are we should we be concerned? Are you going to play? And I'm not saying and again, this is hypothetical. I don't want to put words in Ty's family because I don't think maybe they're not involved or don't care one way or the other there, but like you could understand where the parents want the best for their their, their son. And if it becomes clear based upon like our interpretation of a too deep in the practice that their son is nowhere near the starting lineup and probably isn't going to play this year, that's where those conversations start to happen. And if you don't want to promote a situation where, where guys are just jumping in the portal, which by the way, we're recording this at Monday at 10 a.m. and there hasn't been, big exodus of players which some expected because i think may 1st was the the end of the transfer portal opening at least um like i think that that's somewhat intentional like it it i i think there's there's more to it yeah a good good question that tyson because i think i think they're very very strategic in kind of how they present all information and i i found i I guess as well say i'll be curious to see if they care this much in the fall
1: you, uh, you did just make a huge error as a podcast host, by the way, because you mm. you just uh, made a very specific reference to something that has not happened yet. And now that just guarantees that like 15 guys are going to enter the portal by the time you upload this to. Uh... <sighs> All right, we'll, we'll do it over. Uh, <laughs> All right. An yeah, I'm on guys. <laughs> All right. All
0: right. Uh, so now it's on my second early impression. And the funny thing is I've already discussed my actual early impression was how savvy landing was. So I'm going to think of a third on the fly here. Um, and, and that's just going to be one that we're reiterating. I know, Tyson. I, I, I happen to have... Humble I'll brag right there.
2: Yeah. What's that? No, I said it was a humble brag. No, I just think of it on the fly. I don't need to write it down. Now, who
1: has three?
2: Like, come on. <laughs> it was sunny yesterday, you know, you gave
1: me this homework assignment. And...
0: <laughs> I thought it was great giving Tyson homework on a podcast. We're asking him to join. Um Thanks for doing that. Uh, so, no, the other one is just, it's going to be something we talked about a fair amount, but the commitment to special teams, which I'll be honest, didn't look fantastic in the spring game. Like, k- kind of a little bit underwhelming, if you want to be totally honest. Like, I-, I understand Tom Snee's not there to hold, but you missed two kicks. I know the kicks are long, but it wasn't ideal. You wanted to see Camden just go out there and drill a couple. Um, we don't can't take anything away from really any of the return stuff because they basically it was any contact. and. In fact, if you go back and watch, I think both Hudson and McGee looked like they weren't touched, but they still stopped it at the 30. That was clearly, like, some sort of enforceable rule of, let's not allow anything to go too far downfield. Um, but then there was the block punt, which you could say, hey, that's a great sign that you're able to get pressure. But if you go back and watch it, it like, it was just an assignment error uh, where nobody picked up Braveheart and just ran in and swatted it away. So, like, not thrilled by the what we saw in the spring game itself, but just – Speaking with the coaching staff and the way they conduct practice, like special teams has needed to be a priority here for a long time. It wasn't particularly – at least it didn't come across that way in under the previous staff. And honestly, you go back and look at the numbers for like a decade, it's been pretty subpar, especially in coverage. Um, I think you'll see improvements there. I was just encouraged by Joe lorg and how he handled himself and kind of some of the ideas he has, which are pretty creative. We, we detailed a lot of that, so I'm not going to go over that again. But – Um, just the innovative I think approach to special teams and and treating it like it's an offense or it's a defense like it's a a, an actual important part of the game I think that's a kind of a significant development and again I I think we'll see hopefully this fall um, more byproduct of that of like actual improvement because again the spring game was kind of mixed results but you'd like to see that with the program that has such high aspirations to see a commitment to all three facets
2: of the game I guess. I agree. I mean, special teams was has been just so bad the last couple of years for Oregon. Um, Even, you know, Joe Lorig went through in his press conference and and talked about how bad they were compared to where he was at Penn State, which I thought was was very funny. And it goes back to in that same press conference, um, uh, someone asked you know, what did, what were some of the positive things that Oregon had done in like the last couple of years? And he paused and he's like, well, they returned good kickers and punters. And it's like, all right, well, they did nothing great. Okay. But I think it's important that at least we see every practice they're they're going off about special teams for 10 to 15 minutes um, as their first warm up thing, which will kind of lead me into like my my point, but we'll save it. So I don't have to think of one on the fly because I can't, I'm not Eric. So uh, I think, (laughs) (laughs) I think, the, yeah, while special teams wasn't amazing in, in, in the spring game, and there probably is a lot to improve on, especially the brave art thing. where it's good that he gets pressure, and it's nice that he could be somebody who's like a gunner and really try to sort of make an impact on the on the special teams development. It's still a missed assignment. It's still bad on the other side. So um, it'll be interesting to see how important special teams are. And once, like, the whole team is all together, which is another hard thing I, I can't wrap my brain around when I'm watching the spring game, is that ultimately all these people will be on the same team. So we'll see how it goes.
0: <laughs> it's fair. All right, Tyson, you got a second one.
2: Yeah,
1: for my second one, it's, uh, I, it's, it's kind of like the quick embrace of finding a position for, like, two of the, the physical freaks that we've talked about for the last, like, three years. And that's Brian Addison and, and DJ Johnson. Uh, like DJ Johnson specifically. Like I remember when he first transferred over uh, from Miami and like it was the the year where he wasn't, uh, he was sitting out, but you could kind of see him in practice a little bit. And it's just like, oh my gosh, like that guy, like that guy's a stud defensive end. I think he was running with outside linebackers, but it was, it was very apparent, like where this guy should be playing. And it just, it just seemed like Oregon never really figured out what to do with him. And then all of a sudden he's a tight end. Like for, for two years. And, uh, I remember I, I wrote a story on that a couple of years ago and I was talking to his brother. Uh, I think his brother's PJ who, who used to play at Arizona. And then he was a undrafted free agent with, with a couple teams. And like, he was just like, he, he was playing ball with like the tight end angle of like, Oh yeah. Like he's always been physical, physical, enough to do this, but he's like, this kid should be playing defense. Like, like it's with just like with that body frame and, and, and what he can do. And so I, I think just being able to, um, kind of see what you can get out of that because i I think that's there's just a lot of talent left on the bone there especially for that body um and then like looking at oregon secondary like brian addison like has always been one of the guys that we've talked about is lengthy like can run fast is can jump high and like i i like that like you know they're they're playing around with having that length in the back end with like triquette bridges and and addison back there like I, i think it's too really um it's kind of like having those like six, seven wings around the perimeter and like a good Dana Altman offense. Like, like, I just like that. They're like, Hey, that's the type of body type we like, and we want it back there. And, and you can even look at, like at the other corner position. Um, I hadn't seen Christian Gonzalez in person until after the spring game. And I was just watching him talk to a couple of their reporters. And I was like, Holy crap, that guy's huge. Like, like mm-hmm. I, I think they just like that overall size and, and kind of body in that secondary. And it, I don't know how good they're going to be. Cause obviously they're losing Verone McKinley and, and Michael Wright. Um, but I, I think it will be fascinating to see how they use those type of body types, especially like, I, I just got fascinated listening to a, a Bridges talk about the intricacies of like, yeah, like it's, it's us versus the tight ends. And and I would have loved to watch that in practice because I think Oregon's young group of tight ends are, are so impressive with like Ferguson and Maliki and, um, some of the, and you know, Spencer Webb too, who seems like his. Favorite thing is to just photobomb every interview, that session that's going <laughs> Ever. on. <laughs> Ever. Uh, but, yeah, like I I, I just I, – I really want to see what happens with Johnson and Addison this year and whether or not they can actually kind of put that whole package together for a full season.
0: I'll throw I'll throw try Quez in that same group. I know I won't put it in your – you can pick the two. I'm going to say it's three because I think Quez is the same thing. Where he's been here, they tried him at corner. He started obviously at safety. Now he's back at safety. He's kind of moving around between those – Safety and corner in the spring. Like, I, I, I've always been so high on him. And you talk about Gonzalez being a big guy. Like, Bridges is so long for being, I think he's 6'3, but he's, I think, said in the past, plus seven foot wingspan. That length. Oh, yeah. Like, it's crazy. It's, it's, and it is, but, but a couple of times, Jared, the spring, I was like, Addison is like the longest, rangiest body uh, you'll see. He's like all legs, but his arms are so long. Like, yeah. I guess no torso, Um, which is a weird <laughs> thing on a podcast. I didn't think you could bring up torso talk. But, um, but I, I, it's just those type of buy types, Tyson, you're right. Like clearly they've identified the value there. And to have those players now seemingly bought into a position after several years of kind of being in flux, like I think that's significant and speaks to like a bigger point, which is, Maximizing each individual. I know that was something that was talked about a ton by the previous staff, but like, I think there were some, there were some, I mean, even the guys we're talking about now, there might have been moments where they kind of had guys miscast. And it feels, and again, we'll see, and maybe we'll be feeling silly about these comments later. It feels like the people that had been kind of miscast are now properly placed, at least right now.
1: I, I th- This isn't necessarily like a direct correlation to that, but like, I think you can see a little bit of that in the way that like they're operating the offensive line too. I mean like mm-hmm. the last like three or four years we heard ad nauseum like, Oh, we have like nine guys that could be starters and they always switched out like three or four of them like constantly. And, and I, I know like there's, you know, obviously it still helps to to practice and have guys be versatile and all that sort of thing. But I, I think actually like having five permanent guys in there and, and having them like master the intricacies of one position and this and that, like, I, I think that, I think it's going to help a lot. Like, I I think there was just so many guys that like didn't quite know exactly what their role was, um, on that last roster. And I don't know. (laughs) We'll, we'll, we'll see how it works, but it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a, a change of direction.
2: I was going to bring up like, sure. Yeah. I was just going to bring up like TJ Bass is another guy who was a left, left guard in 2020. And then like, got thrown into left tackle in 2021 when he, you know, talked to me about it and wasn't like the biggest fan of doing it. And now he's back at left guard where he is a fan of. So I think I, I it might've just been a personnel issue last year due to all the injuries where all these guys are moving around, except for DJ Johnson. That's, you know, another thing for another day. But uh, like, I think what Tyson's like, his the main point of like people are like are finding their niche or finding their spots on the team, I think is really important. Um, For my, I guess, the last one, um, just we kind of touched on this earlier. I think Eric made the point of how, even though everything is fun uh, or more fun, I should say, like the practices are certainly still intense. And I think that was one of my main takeaways was how intense some of the practices were. Just of, um, you know, starting off with special teams drills. You know, that never happened under Mario Cristobal. And that's something that, frankly, if I were playing football, I would hate to do special teams drills, but Lanning and, and and the staff are just, you know, pushing them through it. And it seems like these intense practices of, of doing a lot of things that maybe players just don't want to do at all is going to be, you know, really beneficial in the long run. Um, it, it just seemed like it was a more up tempo environment than previous practices. Um, harder hitting even in pads or not in pads, but even in like shells, there were still a lot of thumps. And it just seemed like this was overall just a more intense practice environment. The music was always blaring, except for like the fastball periods. You know, landing on his microphone, shouting at people during, during fastball, poor Tyler Nanny got, got, like, got destroyed by landing at one point. Um, it just seemed like a really more uptempo and intense, um, another the, the meathead thing, another really intense like run through a wall environment compared to what it was in the past.
0: Yeah, landing with the hot mic is, is scary if you make a mistake. you didn't attempt too many practices this spring, I don't think. No. He, so just to fill you and listeners in, I think we talked about it a little bit. Like He's on a mic basically between every drill, and then when they go through 11 on 11, he is critiquing things con- pretty constantly. And so if a player makes a mistake, he's calling them out, maybe using – so, I don't want to say mean words, but, like, he's, he's pretty aggressive. So, so it,
1: it, it's like the voice of
0: God, like, yes, calling down yeah. upon you. Like, yes. oh, man, that would be terrible. <laughs> so, yeah, poor Tyler Nanning, the walk-on the walk on tight end. Paul started with the third-team offense on their first play. Oh, and, man. and Tyler oh, was, man. Really had to had to it's hear so about funny. it. From the it'd, be, it'd be
1: funny if he, like, kind of, like, whispered a little bit, like, hey, Tyler. <laughs> hey, 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 you really
2: screwed that one up, but." <laughs> I was waiting uh, for him to start yelling at one of us in the media aisle. It's like, "Hey, you, Scalpel, on the yeah. field, let's go!" <laughs> <laughs> Please no, don't don't give Dan that up. <laughs> no, We're not to yeah. Listen to this podcast,
0: but um, I don't want to be out there with those guys. You, you, and you, and with, you, you, with, with
1: with that hair of yours right now, it looks better it would, it would look better on a ice rink, you know? Throw it in with like the Minnesota true. High School State Championships with that flow. Mm. I, I, that mullet's mm.
0: looking woo. It's uh, I'm with the Giromello brothers. Is really, it's kind of. I'm oh, rocking yeah. with Alien Dawson. Is 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 the go is the go here uh, with the mullet. Those listening have no. Those on the audio have no idea what's going on. But I'm rocking a pretty strong Billy Ray Cyrus kind of 80s 90s mullet right now, which is which is lovely. All right. Um, usually we take a break here to sec separate segments. So I'm going to do that, even though whatever. Like I'm not sure what it actually means, but all right, we're going to take a quick break and come back. <laughs> So listen to these uh, words from our sponsors. All right. Welcome back to the Yachts and Audible's podcast. I'm your host, Eric Scopel. Jared, Tyson, Mack of the I-5 quarter are here. We are uh, finishing up with our last segment after I I really sent it to break. Strong, strong endorsement for the advertisers on this podcast. Um, We're going to finish up with a bold prediction. Uh, we, We kind of made some early impressions. These were... I think I think pretty enjoyable. I think I think covered a lot of bases, but now we're gonna like really put our feet to the fire here. And, and you know, these matter. What we say here will be You know, this this is these are long standing. People are gonna be referencing this for years. Um, and I'll start. I'm joking because I, I like I said these are bold predictions, and a lot of times people make these way more significant than they are. And this is just a podcast segment on a ten thirty on a Monday um, in early May. My, mine is mine is that. Mine is that the 2022 Oregon defense is going to be better in a couple of key categories in the 2019 Oregon defense, which has been hailed as really one of the better defenses of the last couple of decades in Oregon. Um, I pulled up the stats here. This is just brief stat stuff, but in 2019, they were ninth nationally in scoring defense, 16.5 points per game, and 22nd in total defense at 329.1 yards allowed per game. I think they're going to be better in those categories. Um, And I think why is because the front seven, just looking back at those rosters, this year's front seven could be significantly better in my mind. Um, I know Troy Dye is an awesome player. I love Troy Dye. He's probably one of like if you're going to do a Mount Rushmore of like 2010 Oregon players, he's probably I think he's on it at least 2015 and on for sure there's a chance that Noah Sewell and Justin Flo are significantly better than what Dye and Isaac Slade, Mato and Tia were there in the middle. I think, I think, um, I think the, the defensive line will be better. Like I think Brandon Dorlis is better than anyone on that defensive line. I know Kayvon was there back end of the year. That adds an element there that that's like probably the one spot you're feeling like, and he was kind of an outside linebacker defensive end role. That's like the one spot. Maybe you can have some caveat, but like, he really didn't come on to the back half of the season. Gus Campbellander was starting until he got hurt. Um, I just think the front seven this year it should be significantly better. The secondary I have major concerns with, um, and that might make this projection or this prediction pretty silly. But I also think the scheme here and this, the coaching in general is going to be better than it was in 19. Um, Love Andy Avalos. think he's going to do really well at Boise State. But the coaches on staff at Oregon, the scheme that just won a national championship at Georgia worked. I know there's going to be some tinkering. It's not going to be um, identical. It'll be similar. It'll be a combination of a couple different things. Where Tosh has been, where Dan has been, where some of the other coaches, Matt Pallette, is bringing in some stuff from Baylor. I'm sure. Um, you know, there's there's going to be other influences, but. And again, these are bold predictions for a reason, and I have a lot of respect for that defense in 2019. I'm not trying to overlook how good they were. I just think that there is a potential if Justin Flo can stay healthy and Noah Sewell can play even a step better than he has and what I think is going to be a really strong defensive line. And then you've got the guys coming off the edge if Braden Swinson can take a step. Um, I still think Mace Funa, who was also a part of that 2019 defense, he can improve. You know, I, the concern is in the secondary, but to me, that front seven is so enticing that I feel pretty decent about saying they're going to be, it's going to be one of the better defense the has had in a while. And, and 19 feels like the barometer for me.
1: The, the one game Justin Flo played last year was as entertaining of a defensive performance as I've ever seen from a, like a single individual player at, at Oregon. I mean, just, I think he had 14 tackles in that game and obviously it was against an inferior opponent, but he was everywhere and it's just like size, closing, closing speed, tenacity um, and just think of all the ways that we've described Noah Sewell the last two years too. Like Noah Sewell was like ridiculous and if you have a guy that I mean, based on sheer t- talent and physicality, like, Flo is probably, like, a better prospect than Sewell if he can stay healthy. Like, that's that's crazy to think about. And, uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Because, like, yeah, like, you're, you're losing the number one or the number five pick in the NFL draft and Thibodeau. And I do think Thibodeau is going to be a pretty good NFL player. But, like, his Oregon career was very inconsistent in terms of, like, what they were able to, like, get out of him. You know, like, that, he he didn't play the Ohio State game. I think a lot of people forget that. Like he, uh, you know, his freshman year, I, I think it took him like a month to get his first sack. Which like, hey, he's a true freshman start. Like that's fine, but it's it's not like this was a guy that like, you know, had a major impact in like 30 games throughout his entire mm-hmm. career. Like I I think that especially with like the, the experience of Doris and and um you know the just the talent in that second level if they stay healthy. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you.
2: This was. Should I get into my prediction and just? Yeah, why don't yeah, we do sure. that? Let's let the guest finish it. Uh, yeah, let's do that. Um, I, I I just suggested that because mine is is very similar to Eric's, um, but without the secondary, because I am uh, scared about what the secondary could become. So I feel interesting about comparing that to the 2019 defense because of their secondary. Um, right. I think I think Oregon is going to finish with way more sacks than the 2021 team. But should probably finish around the same number as that 2019 team, if not more. So that's my prediction is that they'll get more than the 2019 team. I just for the same couple of reasons that Eric just outlined, that front seven is probably better overall. It's tough when you have Thibodeau in there as like a true freshman, and he's probably more talented than well, definitely more talented than anybody on the defensive line right now. But again, the linebacking core, the depth of the linebackers the depth at defensive end, you look at like Sam Taimani and Popo and Brandon Dorless and Keon Hudson. That's as you're too deep right there. That's pretty darn good. And DJ Johnson, Trevin Mai, they both really improved. They both showed a lot in this spring camp that has you thinking that they can make a significant impact on the field. On the flip side, you have Swinson and Mace Funa, Jake Shipley, um, Anthony Jones is a true freshman. is has the physical, like the prowess to do something on the defensive line. I just think they have more versatility with their front seven of what their packages could be. Um, they don't have a straight speed line drive bull rusher like that. on Thibodeau was the past couple of years. Maybe that's DJ Johnson, but he's still he's just you know he's not as good as Kayvon Thibodeau. And that's not saying anything because to as a top five nfl draft pick it's hard to be as talented as those guys but the flow and sewell dynamic is one to keep an eye on um in the spring game landing really and then loopboy really brought the house blitzes with the linebackers so that's something to keep an eye on when you have those two guys and flow and sewell coming straight down the a or the b gaps um that's pretty terrifying i would imagine for a quarterback or any running back who tries to get in their way so I I just think that the the number which is forty one for the 20, 2019 team I think that's something that's pretty achievable for this group. Um, it was really surprising last year it was twenty three. That's Double. That's a low number, and so I, I don't anticipate twenty three to really be an option for this group of defensive linemen and linebackers. I think forty one is going to be something pretty similar. I think they I think they'll get more. Um, because I do think they'll tack on a couple with like a safety blitz or a corner blitz, something like that that we saw a little bit during the spring game. Um, I just I wanted to do an overall like 2019 versus 2022 defense because, like Eric, I agree that the 2019 team that defense is you know one of the best in recent memories. Um, secondary, just it kind of scares me here that uh, that 2019 secondary was deep. It was talented, and Michael Wright as a true freshman. Um, Javon Holland as a sophomore, Brady Breeze as a sophomore—like that was a deep group. And like most of those guys are in the NFL or you know, with Michael Wright or Varone—they just signed. You know, undrafted. Or Michael still hasn't, but Varone with an undrafted free agent deal with the Dolphins. You know, those are NFL guys. And I look at this secondary and I imagine that there's probably some NFL guys, but it's not any surefire ones like there were with Grandma, Lenore, or Javon Holland
0: yeah yeah the secondary part is is notable and has to be mentioned and probably if there's one area where some of our predictions like they aren't going to come true that's probably what you would identify um and i wonder you know this is going to be a system that lives on exotic blitzes that you know throwing people from you at you from like all sorts of different angles how aggressive can you be? Cause they want to play a lot of like press man coverage on the outside. If there's weaknesses there, you kind of wonder how aggressive, if, if that could like kind of dole the the blade, if you will, of what they want to do defensively. Cause I know I felt like at least last year under the Ruder that played a role. in, like you said, like some decade, low sack totals. Like I think part of it was those guys on the outside didn't do a heck of a great job sometimes. And so there was a lot of cushion and all sorts of thing. And, um, so those two sometimes operate hand in hand. So that would be like the one thing that I would be concerned with, with both of our predictions is just like if the secondary is, I actually think the secondary will probably end up being fine. I don't think it's going to be the strength of the defense by any means, but like, it's not going to be, it's not going to be quite as high level play. I don't think is what you're seeing in the front seven. And so I, I if, if you're going to be concerned, that's where you got to be concerned. All right, Tyson, let's finish it up with yours.
1: I think by the end of the season, uh this room of wide receivers is going to be remembered as one of the better ones that Oregon's had in quite some time, which, which is kind of funny to, to think about because I, coming into the this, this spring, it seemed like there was some mild concern about like, oh, they don't have a whole lot of proven production. And, and um, you know, it, it's a huge recruiting emphasis for them and, and these sorts of things. But you know, that that class that they got, was it the 2020 class with, with Thornton and, and Troy Franklin, 24. or it might've been the 20, the 21 class. Um, that was a stacked receiving class for them and just to like see little flashes of like Dante Thornton just streaking down like the sideline like I haven't seen an Oregon receiver with that size and that skill and and probably overall speed in my entire time covering the beat I mean like if you think about how dynamic Oregon's offenses have been since the Chip Kelly era and like they haven't had like one prototypical receiver like in that or just like like one like Oh my God! Like that's the best player on the offense type of guy, and I don't know. Like that's too much to put on Thornton, but just to see like the talent that he has, the talent that Troy Franklin has, uh, I think Chase Cota is going to catch like seventy-five balls. Like, like he seems like he's going to be like their slot, like third down. Just like I need to go get to somebody reliable, um, and then like Chris Hudson and like seven. I think Seven McGee might end up being like one of the biggest celebrities in Eugene by the time that his career is done because uh he plays an exciting style of football and this is also a kid that's like idolized like oregon and like that era of speed and flash of oregon football like, like he's a big personality i think he's going to have a monster season for them um and i i just think that between there and then at running back too where it seems like i, I that was my other bold prediction was going to be that they're going to have 30 running backs on the roster uh by by the end of the season because what they just got brought in like that other minnesota kid too but um it's it's impressive the amount of of talent they have there and like the willingness to like let them compete um you know i i I still don't quite know how to feel about who's going to be getting the bulk of carries out of the running the running backs because i i would would have assumed that it would have been uh cardwell but like all those guys look pretty good and i like how uh um i like how aggressive dollars has been and, and just kind of being like i'm healthy i'm back like i'm good like let's go like I, I think this is going to be the first year in quite some time where like fans are like, man, like that Oregon offense is actually sneaky fun to watch. I
0: was just going to say, like, you think back to the Chip Kelly era, and then I guess the subsequent Mark Kelfridge time, like, this, the, like the most popular guys in those teams were always the running backs and receivers, like the skill guys, like DeAnthony and Michael and Kenyon. And I'm going to forget some Josh Huff was really great. I don't know if he was quite as popular, but like, there's star potential, I think, on this year's team at skill positions that has been absent for a while. And I know you had Dylan Mitchell, who had like a, I think maybe arguably the best single season in school history, working with Justin Herbert a couple of years ago. Darren Carrington in in the interim had some good seasons, but like to get to your point on seven, he is going to be so popular if he can translate what we saw in the spring game to like consistent production come fall because like you said he's really fun to watch it is easily identifiable how fun it is based upon how quick he gets in out of cuts and like how dynamic he is like those players are always the most popular and then he's 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 great in front of a camera like he, mm-hmm. yeah and he, he's he's better he's already better now than DeAnthony Thomas probably still is in terms of being yeah. I'm not trying to take a shot at DeAnthony but like he did a he did an interview the spring game where he was still kind of you know he's he's not a great personality in terms of communicating maybe what he's thinking all the time whereas seven is is really personable and he's been i think been groomed to this way since he was like a, probably in middle school as is kind of a little bit of a celebrity and he's got a big personality great smile i think really funny really honest um i i, I i'm totally on bar, board with like he's going to be someone people really care about
1: i i was impressed with the way uh it seems like some of the, like the veterans, like, like him too, or are like, aren't necessarily like put off by, by it because like, uh, after the spring game, he again brought up like the, you like the, Oh, this is going to be a Chip Kelly offense. And I, uh, I, I went straight to like Forsyth after that. And was like, Hey, like you've been here for a really long time. You know how, like everyone likes to compare things to Chip Kelly and how that like never really quite works out. Um, like, you know, that was, I wrote a, profile on Moorhead when he became an OC and like the his Fordham quarterback who I talked to, he's like, Oh yeah, it's gonna be like Chip Kelly 2.0, like Oregon, Oregon's back, baby. And uh (laughs) Moorhead told me after that when he's like, oh, why did he say that? Because it's just like a lot of pressure to like put on somebody. Like that's the most popular era of Oregon football. And it was one of the best offenses in college football history. And so yeah, I asked Forsyth, I was like, like you can't, you gotta hate that, right? And he's like, honestly, like like I'm not saying that like we're gonna be like the next Chip Kelly thing, but like one he respects like the confidence, and then, two it's just like this does feel like an offense that will be willing to at least let people try to accomplish those sorts of things. I mean, like how fun was that spring game just to watch them take some shots? Like it was. Yeah. Um. I, I'm I'm going like way off on a curve from where I started here, but like yeah, like going back going back to where you started, Eric. You know, like the the atmosphere is fun, but like the football looked really freaking fun to watch too. Like I'm I'm excited.
2: Any parting thoughts, Jared? On that, uh, just Dante Thornton is another guy who looks is really comfortable in front of the camera. He kind of reminds me of uh, Anthony Edwards with, in the he, NBA. Was oh, he
1: wearing a chain with his own picture on, in it? Or like who? He who was. was the
2: picture? God, it was so great. <laughs> it was tremendous. Yeah, I forgot what the other. He had two chains on. Yeah, um, I don't don't remember what the other one was. But the other one of them did have a picture of himself. Um, he just. He reminds me of like Anthony Edwards in the NBA where like if you get in front of him, him in front of a mic, he's just going to say something hilarious. And so I look forward to interviewing Dante Doran whenever we get the chance. Um, it's also really helpful that he's six foot five and like 215 pounds and runs really well and is also seen as now like a leader in the wide receiver room as a sophomore. Um, so, yeah, I'm just excited to see those guys break out. Obviously, seven two um troy franklin who probably has the most talent or untapped potential in that wide receiver room too um it's definitely going to be a fun group to watch and you know if it it turns into chip kelly or if it doesn't i still think this offense is going to be significantly more fun but it has been
0: I was gonna say, did we just talk ourselves into the final bull prediction being this will be better than Chip Kelly Yeah. Know, right. I,
2: I'm I'm
0: gonna sign off now. I don't want my name associated <laughs> with this. <thing>. I, <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, and this is probably about the right place to stop because we shoot for 45 minutes and we hit it. Um, thank you so much, Switch. Tyson. By By the way, Tyson, plug your stuff. Uh, I know. I do quarter, it, What do you got? What what you got? Big there. Tell us about the. I know you got a podcast. No, no, you don't. You don't want any. You, you got a decent listenership here uh, uh, just just come check
1: me out at i5 corridor Or sorry i-5 corridor see that that's the problem like i wanted to be like like legitimate because like on most signs it's like i-5 but it's uh you know if you tell people i5 corridor.com anyways this is just way too in the weeds <laughs> at tyson alder on twitter um i do a podcast with aiden schneider um i think we have one coming up on wednesday so yeah it's 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 just goofy stuff about the ducks pretty much
0: <laughs> well I've always loved reading Tyson stuff and it's fun having a location to read it after a brief I guess so how much was it several months of no Tyson was was tough so good to see it was that it was the summer of George, summer <laughs> Sorry, of George. George. Yep. <laughs> we'll go read Tyson stuff go read our stuff this is gonna be. The end of our Monday uh, episode of the Ots and Audibles podcast. We'll be back next Monday with a mailbag. We wanted to get Tyson as a fun guest in here to start the week, though. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Ots and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.